Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Today, I'm talking to Tina Coney Bear about type 1 diabetes, celiac disease, and lymphocytic colitis. One thing that is so interesting to me about Tina's story is that she has three distinct diagnoses that are all relatively well managed now. So she takes us through the whole diagnostic cycle from symptom onset to effective treatment and is able to compare and contrast each of these experiences. It's a pretty interesting ride. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. I like to start by asking people, how was your health as a kid? Okay, as a kid, um, my health was actually perfect. I never had allergies. I never had any, like the only thing I can remember as a kid really was having chicken pox, which I think is pretty normal for any kid. Yeah. Um, I never had any issues, no diseases, no allergies for sure. Yeah. And so then I never missed any, I never missed school. I like, I don't remember any, anything. Yeah. That's great. So then what happened or when did things start to change for you? Um, okay. So when I, so a month after my 21st birthday, I was, I had started a new, started a new job and, um, I kind of was feeling extreme fatigue. So I started working at a casino and my shifts were all over the place and I was doing overnight shifts and, um, I kind of just attributed all of my sleepiness basically to that, um, Shortly after, like, I would even say within a few weeks, I moved out on to into my own apartment with my girlfriend. So there was a lot of life changes going on. So I just kind of kept thinking like, this is, you know, adulting, as I would put it. And um, like totally normal. I, yeah, I'm yeah, working like ridiculous just, hours or whatever it is. Yeah, right. You just think, um, you know, I've never done this before. So maybe this is what happens when this happens. Mm hmm. Um, so I would come home maybe around, um, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning from a shift and I would sleep until five o'clock the next day, like nothing. Mm -hmm. So when I was living at home, my mom would be like aggressively waking me up. And by the time I woke up, I would feel like she was like, kind of like pushing me right into my bed. Like I, I I was just so out of it. Yeah, like she'd probably been trying for a while and you didn't notice until it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, vigorous. And I kind of, I can remember one time where she was waking me up and I I could hear, I could, I felt like I was hearing her like calling me like, like as if it was in the distance, like, Mm -hmm. and I, I had to really like push myself to wake up. So I think that was me with, you know, really high blood sugar, maybe even close to going into a coma. It's hard to say, because obviously I wasn't testing at that time. Right. Um, I started noticing, like, you start to crave sugar, like natural things that would make you wake up. But all that was doing was spiking a blood sugar and that would make me even more tired. So now I started missing work because I was too tired to work because I'd be drinking a can of Coke on my way to work 
thinking, oh, it's going to wake me up, but yeah. it would just make me crash. Caffeine and sugar. And I right? think I have a young, healthy body. So this is exactly the thing that will just yeah. help pick me up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is going to pep me up for my shift tonight, but it did the complete opposite. And I would be going home back to sleep thinking like, okay, what's going on? Maybe, I'm, maybe I have a flu or whatever, because I'd never yeah. ever dealt with anything like this before. Um. I guess I, before everything really came to the start of everything, I went to the emergency room in my hometown and um, I just said, like, I can't stay awake. Like, I don't know what's going on with me, but I literally can't stay awake. And all they said in the emergency room was, um, well, there's no cases of mono going around at this time. No other questions. Nothing. Not That's even um like okay let's check your blood sugar let's have you come in and see a doctor like literally i didn't even get a band put on my wrist like i just literally left like spoke to the and person I at saw, the desk yeah yeah like so, like scary like i really could have died now that i know everything that was going on right and then i i kind of went a couple more weeks like that and then i saw my family doctor for my a uh, physical and I just said, like, I'm feeling really tired lately. And he tested my blood sugar. And at that time, I think at, it was 26 or 27. Okay. Which I, is, yeah. Can I'm you not tell sure me, how much. Can you tell yeah, me so the, range, the range on it? Just because I, one thing that I know and I don't have in my head is that we use yeah. different units for it in the States. Yeah. So in the States, I think you you are classified as pre-diabetic at 100 whatever the units are, I, I believe 100 is either the line for diabetic or pre-diabetic. Um, so do you know what that approximately what that line is in? I you know what? I, I, I really don't know the conversion when it comes to Canadian and American numbers. Yeah. I know it's measured much differently. Yeah. Um, Just like, do you know what a healthy number would be or a target for, number? For a target for Canada, like my blood glucose targets are between five and seven. Okay. So 27 is. So 27 was like, whoa, where did that all come from? Yeah. Um, it's, it's high. And I'll look this up for the notes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There'll definitely be like a conversion calculator. And I've definitely checked it before because I do read a lot of American mm -hmm. things about diabetes and stuff. So you kind of have to do the conversion, but I can never remember it. Yeah. I, I know that when I also looked this up. I was like, these are so random and unrelated units on both sides. Hey, future Brienne here. I just looked this up on a conversion chart and it looks like uh, 26 or 27 in Canadian units is almost 500 in American units. So hopefully that's helpful for a little bit of blood sugar context. So, yeah. okay. And did they also check your A1C at that time? Um... Not that I recall. Initially, it was, um, we went straight to, okay, you're a type 2 diabetic. Okay. So we're going to try to just keep a journal and, you know, test your blood sugar and see how it goes for maybe like a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how, how that goes. Because it was kind of unheard of for someone like brand new 21 year old to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes right. usually that's kind of more for you well at that time it was more for younger children because that was actually 18 years ago mm -hmm. um so it was yeah it, it didn't change anything so, so i knew? did monitor my yeah i checked my blood sugar i was eating 
I, I always ate well. That's the thing, too, that I think about as a kid was, like, we never, like, I was always sad as a kid that we never had craft dinner at our house. We never had hot dogs. Like, I always ate well. Like, we always were healthy eaters and no, I, de I don't think I was fussy. Like, I definitely like all vegetables and things like that. So it kind of makes me think, like, where did this come from? Yeah. Especially where type 2 is typically attributed mostly to diet and lifestyle as opposed to yeah. type 1 being and I've, I've never been overweight. I've always been lean. I'm 5'7", and I'm my weight would, as an adult, has never been above 130. So... I never, I just couldn't understand that. And I guess maybe over a little bit of time, I just remember my doctor calling me on a Sunday while I was at home um, with my parents at that time. And um, he had just said, we're going to admit you to like a diabetes clinic and you're going to go there for three days every day, all day. And um, we're going to start you on insulin. So we're going to diagnose you today as um, a type 1 diabetic so uh, that was kind of a surprise too like okay whoa I just went from being completely how he like healthy and just a regular person I guess we could say to now um, you know like an insulin pen and injections and like whoa like I don't know anything about this stuff so yeah and so what have that was what had um for your doctor to tell you that we're going to classify it as type one instead of type two this was just after the yeah. two weeks of monitoring yeah it was a couple weeks like I said it was it was so long ago and it yeah, was okay. pretty heavy at the time that it's kind of like it was just such a whirlwind that I, yeah. I kind and I was an sure. adult like you didn't know anything I, about my parents, it then. Yeah, my, and my parents were not coming to these appointments with me. So this was a lot to take on yeah. just for myself. Yeah. At the same time, too, I just got glasses. So I'd always had 20-20 vision. I never wore glasses. And now all of a sudden I have glasses. I'm, you know, my vision's blurry. Like all of the symptoms leading to diabetes I have, I just didn't know you know, there, I guess there wasn't a lot of awareness about it because there was no social media at the time. Right. And it, it was just so kind of like maybe if you if you knew somebody, then you would know. But I didn't even have like frequent urination, like things that I knew about from one person that I knew that had diabetes. So yeah. a lot of it was kind of just like my own diabetes, which makes sense because everybody's diabetes is different and their own. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, yeah, that was it would be a lot at once. It was a lot at the time. I guess maybe they did do an A1C test. I don't really I I wasn't told why okay, we're just going to go to insulin. Right. It could have maybe even been that my blood sugars weren't changing. Yeah. You know, after all that time and testing and you don't want to go too long with really high blood sugars um being not controlled. So maybe that was the decision. Right. And so they said, "Okay, uh, we're going to classify you as type 1, and here's kind of an educational clinic, is that right, for the three days? Yeah, so yeah, so I went to a diabetes clinic in my hometown, and um, it was probably about, I would say, maybe 15 or 20 of us, and the, everybody, like, I'm not even exaggerating, everybody except me was a type 2 diabetic. Mm-hmm. So did I learn anything about type 1 diabetes? No. So everything that the nurses were talking about, I'd kind of get the sideline of, 
oh, this is different for you, for you because you're a type one. What we're going to talk about this after. Really? Yeah, there really what there wasn't an after. The only after I got was okay, Tina, come with me. We're going to teach you how to do needles. And so I basically just gave an orange injections with an insulin pen. That was my type one diabetes training. So everything that I've learned has been like self-taught or trial and error or honestly like diabetes for dummies like I'm not even joking like I bought the book yeah um I guess maybe some things on the internet but 20 years ago the internet wasn't really a thing so it was just a lot of reading yeah not like it is now yeah yeah and they're, they're so fundamentally different like yeah they have the same name but they're really They're completely different diseases. They really are. Like, I don't take any pills for this. I'm only taking insulin. Um, I'm taking other things that have actually positively impacted my diabetes, but I'm not taking it specifically for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the three-day class was, I guess, like, it was interesting, but it had nothing to do with me at all. Right. Right. So I, I don't really know, I don't really know why I went. Or yeah. maybe my doctor thought there would be more for me, but there really wasn't. Right. It was like maybe the only thing that they even knew to suggest. Yeah. And so, so you also started using insulin at that time. So that would be a big adjustment too, right? Yeah. So, so what did that look like? I'm guessing it's like you're checking your blood sugar all the time yeah. and then... It was really freaky. Yeah, it was really freaky because there was so many things happening at the same time. So, um, sorry. Um, I remember, okay, so now I'm for sure, I remember for sure living in my own apartment. I remember just having just kind of sitting on my bedroom floor having like tons of garbage around me from like my test strips my alcohol swabs my lancets and testing my blood and kind of doing a lot of guesswork which um like for my i guess my bolus base uh dose as well as a correction. So when you go to learn about giving your needles, they t- they give you this big long formula about, okay, if your blood sugar is too high and you're about to eat, you're gonna need to give insulin for your food, plus you're gonna need to get your blood sugar back down. So you're gonna need to do a correction. So when they were telling me that, even though like, I guess because I was younger, I didn't think to say like, hey, I don't understand what you're talking about. So I just said, okay, I understand. And I left. So yeah, that was not smart on my end. But it's very overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah. being in that position and just thinking like, oh, this will make sense when I'm doing it. Like, yeah. And then you're doing it. Exactly. And you're like, oh, this, I really actually need to get this right. And it's overwhelming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like scary things can happen. And you know, they also talk about um, low blood sugar. So I I was anticipating that. I had no idea what that was going to feel like and if that was going to be, like, absolutely crippling or if that was going to be just something where I'm going to know it's coming on and I'm going to have a little bit of a warning. So anticipating that was pretty scary. Um, now I'm also getting insulin in my body, which is a hormone that I hadn't had for who knows how long. So your body goes a little bit crazy when you're getting new hormones. So I got the most 
atrocious um, yeast infection that I've ever had. I think probably even the only one I've ever had. And um, that like, was like excruciating. Yeah, exactly. And that was keeping me up in the night. And it was, it, I would never wish that on anybody. And I still remember that from like, like I said, like 18, this November will be my 18th year with type one. So um, that was horrendous. It was just awful. Yeah. And um, it was just a lot at first, but once things settled down, it was obviously good. But even while all of that was going on, it was a lot better because now I'm feeling better. Now I don't feel so dozy and tired and headaches and I can, I'm functioning. So that was kind of like a bittersweet um, feeling, but I guess worth it in the end at the same time too. Yeah. It's like now you have become a person who is sick, however that kind of felt or was. But also yeah. the symptoms themselves are getting so much better that it's like, right. well, I have to do this forever, but fingers crossed, if I do this forever, so tracking blood sugar, using insulin properly, all this stuff, then right. I can have a pretty normal life. Like that's the right. That's the promise yeah. of treatment, right? Right. And that is how I feel about it. Like I know like my grandma says all the time, like, I don't know how you do this. Like I don't think I could ever do this, but um, you have two options you can do it and be healthy and happy and live your life or you don't and you literally will die so um i just you just do it yeah yeah you just you don't it's not an option you know like if it is you and that's your life then you just do what you need to do so um it hasn't really been hasn't been that bad it's just an adjustment yeah. But I guess, you know, I, I lived like that for about um, 10 years, and then I developed celiac disease. And so how did that come to light for you? That was a really tough one, because at the time, I was living in Montreal, and originally I was living, I'm from Ontario, so I moved to Quebec for work, and I was living there for about two years, and... I had gone on a trip with my family. We went to Japan to visit some family that I have there. And when I got back, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I kind of thought like, oh, maybe I have a virus or maybe I um, I picked up something or like I had no idea what was going on. So after um, a long time of having um, basically just, an, just digest, digestive problems and um I couldn't bend my knees like that's how inflamed my body was on the inside like I couldn't bend my knees to get out of the shower like I'd have to swing my leg over like I had no idea what was going on with me I didn't even know that I didn't even know what it was yeah and I didn't know that once you have one autoimmune disease you're off you're you're going to get other ones I don't even think you're susceptible I think it's it's just a matter of time yeah it's very likely so and were they visibly trying... swollen, your knees? Could you tell? Or were you just no. like, my knees aren't working and I don't know why? Yeah, my knees aren't working and I don't know why. And 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 the healthier I was eating, the worse my symptoms were. So basically, I just had um, chronic diarrhea. I'd wake up every single morning and 
I was, I just had an upset stomach every single day to the point that I was late for work every single day. I had to tell my boss, like, I'm really sick and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and what did healthy eating look like to you at that point? Which actually, so had you changed your diet at all when you got the diabetes diagnosis? Um, and then um, how were you eating at this time? I guess I, I was eating healthy, healthy, like I always had been. So if anything, like I, I, the only change that I really made was that rather than eating like a whole chocolate bar, I'd kind of be satisfied with like a couple pieces because yeah. I didn't want to feel like crap after. Right. And I was completely fine with that. Like you aware, still want sure. the sweets. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't want the consequences. Of course. So that's really the only change, but because I'd always eaten well my whole life. So like you're having fruit and vegetables all the time with every meal and then probably yeah, I'm like having fruit and vegetables I think starch. the big thing for me was okay so I need to eat really healthy now because I don't know what's going on with my gut so I'm gonna eat whole wheat bread and um yeah I'm gonna eat um bran flakes and granola bars and all the things that are just like just kind of not helping my body at all. Right. Um, all the things that I shouldn't be eating. So basically what I needed to do was go gluten-free, but all I was really doing was now taking on more. Like whole grains. And yeah, more whole grain. So I spoke with a friend of mine um, and I just told her my symptoms. She's a nutritionist. And so she had even said, like, okay, keep eating healthy. Let's keep a journal of what's going on for a couple, like, even a week or two. And let's try to change up the food. So one day, like, I would have a whole wheat sandwich, and I would be sick, sick, sick. The next day, I would have, like, rice and chicken and broccoli and not have something so, like, detrimental. Yeah. And I could feel the difference. Like, I would notice the difference. So I started telling her what was kind of feeling better and what was feeling worse. And all this time, so I came back from Japan in May. And by the time I had reached out to her, it was probably, like, August, September. Because this is so embarrassing to, like, phone someone up that you've known elementary school, high school, and just say, like, I have diarrhea and it won't go away. Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And I'm taking Imodium and I'm getting scared because on the box it says, if this continues, contact your doctor. So it was continuing and I was terrified and yeah. I was going to the doctor and they just kept saying, you have IBS, take this, you have IBS, take that. And I was like, this can't be like, this cannot be. Yeah. So when we started talking about my food diary, um, she had said, I think that you might have issues with gluten. And I was like, well, what the heck is that? Like, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. I was 30 years old, like what that was. Almost 10 years ago. So, right? yeah. So while well, it was 10 years after my diabetes diagnosis. Right. So, yeah, I guess like this Wait. year is, I think, my seventh year with it. Okay. Yeah. That makes um, um, and how long were you in Japan for? I was only in Japan for two weeks. Were you eating mostly Japanese food? Like, do you think that's partly why? Since um, they do have gluten. I mean, I guess that they use soy sauce or whatever. Yeah, but they, like, yeah, rice they is do. the main starch yeah. instead of bread. So you could have taken a break by accident. And then when you got I, home and started eating it, your symptoms would have kicked up. To be honest with you, I remember being on that trip. And this, I know we talked about, you know, the whole TMI thing, but... Um, 
for me on that trip, I was so constipated because I just was kind of, I think the time change kind of blew Travel. me away because they're yeah. 13 hours ahead. Totally. And um, it's Awful not normal. my, yeah, right? It wasn't my own house. And as much as I was with my family and I, I could easily relax, I just, we were just so busy. We'd be out of the house at like eight o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't be back home until probably like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So, mm -hmm. um, just no normal just, body routine. Yeah. My, my whole routine of my life was just completely upside down. Mm -hmm. So I, I really don't fit. I don't know. Like it could have, it could have, but, um, it's a, it's a mystery. It's just like one of those things. That's yeah. Part of story now. Right. That is the thing is like, and I think that it's something that I'll probably die never knowing is like what triggered all this stuff? Like yeah. it's such a mystery. Yeah. And it's, I know with this stuff, it's like, it could be anything. You could be doing the exact same thing every day, but there's just an yeah. accumulation in your body where your body right? one time decides to stop putting up with it. Um, okay. Yeah. So your friends suggest that you might have a problem with gluten and you don't even know what that means. Right. Right. So I do some research and find out like what I shouldn't be eating. And at this, I, all this time, I'm still seeing my doctor. Like, I, I started going, like, once a month, and then it turned into, like, once every two weeks because I was just, like, I'm not giving up on this. Like, I'm not going to stop because I know something's really wrong with me. Like, you know your body, right? And after 10 years of diabetes, like, you know to pay attention to your body and yeah. not ignore symptoms. Yeah. So I remember that February – I had said, okay, this month I'm strictly gluten-free. Like I'm not having any wheat, rye, barley, anything that I shouldn't be having. So I felt so much better. So I knew what that, I knew what it was for sure. Like there was just no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Um, but I wanted an official diagnosis and I was seeing this doctor in Montreal and he was getting so annoyed with me. Your and, primary care doctor, like your family yeah. doctor, yeah, yeah, so exactly. Right. He because he was just so tired of telling me, um, it's IBS and it's not what you think, and I just kept saying like, can you just please refer me to, to a, a gastroenterologist? Like yeah. I really, I just need to rule this out, and yeah. all it is is a blood work test. And he was just like, no, it's not. But I had just like studied this for however many months or weeks or whatever. So I just wasn't giving up on it. So finally he referred me and even the gastro uh, doctor that I saw was like, I don't think so. Like even he was pushing me off, but entertained me and was like, okay, well we'll do the blood test just to rule it out. And so he did the blood test and three days later he phoned me and said, you have celiac disease. And that, wow. And so the blood test for celiac, because I know that some people are diagnosed with a scope looking for the yeah. damage. So the right. blood test, is that an antibody test? It's like, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's pretty tough when you're living in a place where you don't fully speak the language. And all my test results came back in French really? and everything like that. Yeah. So it was kind of hard for me to tell. Yeah. And to be completely honest with you, I was satisfied just with him saying you have celiac disease. Sure. I because mean, that's all I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I think with celiac in general, when you've done an elimination diet, if you do the elimination diet first and you know that you feel better, it's like, yeah. okay, well the diagnosis will be very helpful and 
convincing yeah. me that I need to keep doing this. But at the end of the day, I already know. I already know yeah. how to make myself feel better. So mostly yeah, exactly. I want to know like how to maintain it or keep living with this. Right. right. Yeah. And especially knowing that, um, you know, so he gives me the requisition to have the blood test done, but also says like, cause I had said to him, like, I'm gluten free right now and I feel a lot better. I'm not a hundred percent, but I, it's a noticeable difference. Um, so he said, well, to do this test, you're going to have to introduce it back into your diet. So that was kind of crappy, but I just made the best of it and just ate everything that I missed eating. Yeah. Um, and obviously it was well worth it just to get my diagnosis. So yeah. I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's understandable. It's, I feel like, I think, I guess, cause it's the only autoimmune disease that's so directly associated with food. So it's the only one where you yeah. have to willingly make yourself sicker as opposed to anything yeah. else where you know that if you go in during a flare, those tests will be more meaningful than when you're feeling healthy. But like, it's a choice that you have to make. It's just... Yeah, tough. it's a tough one. It's a tough one, especially when you have been feeling so good and uh, like especially coming out of feeling so bad for so long. And now you finally like, OK, like something just clicked, like I feel better. And now you got to put yourself back into the like, like the fox's den is just yeah. like not not great. But like I, I, I just remember thinking at the time, like this is temporary and right it's not going to be for long. So yeah. I just did what I had to do. And like I said, I was really happy with the outcome. So yeah, that, I mean, that's great. And especially so you got that diagnosis very quickly. I mean, very slowly. Yeah. It sounds like that was a long time before you oh, figured it out. But very quickly. That was, once you it got was the horrible. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's, it's horrible having doctors that just like, you know, when someone's just like, Oh, my God, like not you again. Yeah. And um. I don't know. That was just such a horrible feeling, but I just was like, well, who's going to advocate for me right. if I just listen to this guy? Like I'm not, um, I'm not going to stop. So no, I just kept pushing. And even by then I was, I was so sick at, at the end of the year before my diagnosis in December, I remember telling my boss who was working in Ontario and I've been Montreal. I said, I'm going to be coming back home because I'm very sick and I don't know what's wrong with me and nobody's listening to me here. And then that's when I really started doing a lot more with it. And so it was December that I kind of said, I'm coming back to Ontario. February, I went gluten-free and I was diagnosed in April and I moved home in June. Which so And that would be like a year after when the symptoms had really amped up. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Because I came, like I said, I came home from Japan in May and that's when everything started. Like literally like, I'd say within, I, I feel like it was within days or weeks. Like it was really soon. Yeah. 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 It was, it's, but so yeah, bad. it took a really long time, which was really frustrating because my diabetes diagnosis happened so quickly. Mm -hmm. So that was just kind of like, what the hell? Like, are you not hearing me? Like why I don't get this. Yeah. So I just kept thinking like, I need to go back home and see a doctor that like, I guess understands me or is going to listen to me. So yeah, that you trust. um, it just took a little bit of time, but it's figured out. And it's it's funny because um, it's a very it's a kind of a more cautious disease. I don't I really hate it. I I would take diabetes any day over celiac disease, but um, you you find your way. Like I know I talk to people online that have are brand new to celiac disease, and I can see how overwhelmed they are. But everything kind of just works out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And have you needed, are there other interventions besides a gluten-free diet like that you've discovered along the way or is that, that's really it, right? That's it. Yeah. With celiac, that, that's which it. Yeah. It's good and bad kind of compared to other autoimmune. It's conditions. getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting better, but a lot of other things kind of come with it. Like it's not just avoid gluten. Like there's other things that I'm really sensitive to that I've cut out of my diet as well. That probably everybody should cut out of their diet, but, um, um, it's just being aware of just how you're feeling and, you know, oh, I ate that. I don't feel good. And sometimes it's not just gluten. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause how do you eat now? I know some people with auto across the board, kind of autoimmune diseases will play around with paleo or autoimmune paleo yeah. or keto yeah. even. I, yeah. Or just different elimination diets. Have you, has any of that been interesting or helpful for you? Yeah, it's interesting that you said that. So I, when I first had celiac disease, I could pretty much just eat everything else and stay away from gluten and I was fine. Then I started developing like sensitivities and now I can't eat anything that has corn. It upsets my stomach just like I've been, um, like I've had something with gluten in it, um, even just all the way down to cornstarch. So um, I don't have that at all. Um, but I have to worry about other things because um, earlier this year I was diagnosed with lymphocytic colitis. Okay. Yeah, so that kind of changed everything. So that had been going on for, so I guess, I, I think I've probably had that for about three years, even though, or maybe even four years actually, even though I was just recently diagnosed, because I think that one's a little bit tougher to diagnose, but that definitely comes with all of its own food sensitivities um, mm -hmm. on its own. And so for that, you say three or four years. So I'm just thinking about it. So you were diagnosed with celiac and you stuck with the gluten-free diet and things were going yeah. pretty well for yeah. then probably three or four years on that end as well. And then did you start to yeah. have similar symptoms or were there new symptoms? Similar. And that's what was so confusing about it because I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like, something sneaking in, like something I'm not aware of is sneaking into my food and I don't know what it is, but, yeah. um, where's this contamination coming from? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is a little bit different, but it's the same. I guess once you kind of get used to it, you see the differences, but, um, it is pretty similar. Yeah. It's just, I guess with, I guess what kind of pinpoints is that it, I, I know, okay, I made my own food. It was mostly like, it could be even just like whole food. So I know I'm not adding a bunch of other things or eating anything processed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And things like tomatoes or um, corn, the real sensitivity started with the colitis. Um, what else bugs my stomach? Um, sugar, for sure. Dairy, for sure. Um, Sometimes if I'm, if I go a little bit too carb heavy, so like even though I'm eating gluten-free bread, it really buggers up my stomach sometimes too. Yeah. Um, so as you had said, or something. yeah, exactly. And just like all the little tiny ingredients in bread, like this kind of flour, that kind of flour, like rice flour, potato starch, like so many things, like the simpler I eat, the better it is. But sometimes you just want to have a piece of toast, you know? Yeah, Um <laughs> 
So it just gets kind of frustrating sometimes because I'm looking at it and I'm like, this says gluten-free. Like, why can't I eat this? Why am I not digesting this? Um, blueberries is another thing. Peas. Like, there's just some things that just don't sit well with my stomach. Mm-hmm. I don't um, strictly eat paleo or, like, a whole food diet, but I try to lean more to that just because um, – It's just simpler, I think. And I, I'm finding as of lately, um, the smaller my meals are, the better. Hmm. That's just something I've just kind of discovered in the last, I'd say, couple weeks, actually. Yeah, like frequent small meals where you kind of know yeah. what everything is. I'm sure that also yeah, helps exactly. take the mental load off. when you, If you eat a couple things at a time, then you can immediately yeah. pinpoint if there's a problem. Instead yeah, of- exactly like after Thanksgiving dinner or something when you've eaten oh my gosh every yeah. kind of food yeah yeah and I'm I am a big eater like you know I love like a, like my mom's like roast beef dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or like a Christmas dinner like I love like sweet potatoes mashed potatoes turkey gravy like I love like just loading up my plate and just going to town just like laying on the floor after yeah but like if I eat like that I am so done like I'm I'm so sick Mm -hmm. so it's been an adjustment but it's so worth it to like be able to eat a meal enjoy it and then not feel sick and kind of even scared after because it's like heart palpitations upset stomach in the bathroom like in out of the bathroom like I nobody wants that so if I can now that I've figured out like you know just take a little bit enjoy it like it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. um I've definitely tried some paleo breads lately that um seem to agree with me and it's really nice because it even helps my blood sugar as well so that's been kind of nice um I started taking a drug at the end of February that I researched for a long time um and I'm taking so I've been taking that and just within the last probably I'd say three weeks I'm noticing an improvement in how I feel and just like let's just say bathroom habits um so that is such a relief because it it seemed like everything I tried like I tried celery juice I tried I tried the whole food diet like nothing was working yeah it was never going all the way kind of so exactly so this was probably happening kind of over the last three or four years it sounds like if you started having symptoms again then and did you start going back to the doctor at that time or were you kind of playing around at with your diet you know I was seeing naturopaths yeah because that's kind of the way that I like to work is a little bit more like let's get to the root cause as opposed to medicine 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 yeah totally um so I was seeing a lot of naturopaths that weren't doing anything for me at all like Mm -hmm. at all like some would even say like oh try yoga like Like, I don't um, need to pay you for that advice yeah exactly it was like like even thinking like I'm really glad that I'm not actually paying for this and it's just coming off my benefits because this is not like I, it, this isn't what I'm I'm looking for. Like this is a food thing for me. Yeah. Um. And you, so it's it seems like I kind of get a little bit from each nutritionist or a natural path that I see. Yeah. But in but the, the end, it's kind of a combination. Yeah, it's a combination of what I do with everything and just 
being a little bit more smart about what I'm eating as opposed to what I want to eat. You know, like sometimes I know like I'm probably going to be sick after I eat this, but I really love this cereal or that kind of stuff. Like even though it is gluten-free, I still know it's going to upset my stomach, but it's just like I can't eat a chicken breast for breakfast. You know what I mean? Like some paleo, the some of the paleo stuff is just too much for me. Like I can't do that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's, um, it's also a lot of work. Like when you mentioned paleo bread, yeah. I was thinking because yeah. there's some recipes that I love for special occasions, but the reality is that the amount of time it takes and even know, just yeah. sourcing ingredients is like, I think it's amazing. I'm so glad that these recipes exist and they're not, yeah. they can't be everyday recipes. It just doesn't work that way. And it's so expensive. And it's expensive. Um, yeah. Okay. So I just want to ask a little bit more about the colitis. So okay. how, how was that actually diagnosed in the end? Um, the colitis was diagnosed finally with uh, my GI and I had a colonoscopy, okay. which I will say I was, I put it off for a long time. Like I actually had an upper scope and she had said like, okay, your celiac disease is in remission. Okay. So I was like, what the heck then? Like, because I am strictly gluten-free, so I should be in remission, yeah. but why, why is nothing working for me? So she said like, okay, we're going to do a colonoscopy. I was terrified, but I was just like, I need to know like what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, so I did it and it was actually a breeze. Like it's nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And um, not that I want one every weekend or anything, but, but it um, wasn't what you, I mean, you were worried and it wasn't yeah. as bad as you expected. Yeah, I was terrified for no reason. Um, and it was so, it was obviously quick because I was put out. And um, I, as soon as I came out, she said, like, okay, this is what's going on. And at that time, she had said, like, um, this is my favorite colitis to diagnose because it's, I know, right? Um, it's easy to treat. And then and she just started, like, really again? pumping steroids. Steroids. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What was the type so she, of colitis again? Lymphocytic. Lymphocytic. So what yeah. does that mean? Like, how does that manifest? Do you know? Um, the best to be you know? honest with you, I yeah. don't. Yeah. I don't fine. know. We don't know, but that one person loves it of the colitis options. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like from some of the things that I've read about colitis, like ulcerative colitis and... Um, there's another one. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. It starts with a C. It's like collagenous, I think, um, colitis, which I think is similar to lymphocytic colitis. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I do kind of have it a little bit easy, like in terms of other different kinds of colitis. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to figure out yeah. how to tame a flare, especially when you've had a flare for like five, six months, yeah, is really, really tough. Yeah. And so they started you with steroids. And that, yeah, that must have so been she, recently, right? Relatively. Um, well, I guess like last, I guess it was a year ago, roughly. Okay. A year ago. So so she gave me, so she prescribed steroids. And I guess I kind of remember it helping a little bit. But steroids aren't really something that you want to stay on all the time, right? Right. So as soon as you come off, then everything's back. Mm-hmm. And they don't really talk about foods to avoid. It's just like, here's your medicine, bye. Like, it, these are the fastest appointments I've ever had. And what is so, there any other, 
I know you said you started a new one, so we'll get to that. But at the time, are there any other medications that they recommend? Or was it just steroids to help get you out of this flare and then good luck? Yeah. There are a lot of other medications that I've heard about, people talking about. But um, nothing that my doctor ever prescribes. Like, she's really, really one for steroids. Okay. Like, I've even said to her sometimes, like, hey, um... I've researched about this like could you look into it and next time I come here um, we could talk about this other drug and you know my appointments are like six and seven months apart so I'd show up like seven months later oh I forgot about that I'm really sorry yeah so then I'd say okay well this is the name of it again do you think for next time you could take a look at it I had even called her receptionist like a week before my appointment and said could you remind the doctor about you know this drug and show up for my appointment not even a clue as to what I'm talking about it's just so disheartening so I just took matters into my own hands yeah that would be incredibly frustrating it is especially like I said your appointments are so far and few between yeah and and they're really short and it's just kind of like well the steroids work the first time so I'm gonna write you a prescription for this and it's just like I'm telling her like I don't want to do steroids like I don't want steroids I I just, it's, yeah, it works at the time, but I'm not going to take steroids for, like, an extended amount of time. Yeah, it's not it a long-term solution. Cause, it's yeah, really not. It's not recommended yeah. to take steroids indefinitely, and they are not symptom-free by any means. They definitely have side effects. Yeah. yeah. So, so how was that research, and what did you end up deciding that you wanted to try? So the drug that I found out about was probably through um I think it was through a group that I follow on Facebook for um the colitis that I have and um someone just popped on and they said like hey guys like I've been taking a drug called LDN that's what I thought it uh, would be <laughs> yeah low dose naltrexone and um it's working amazing. I haven't had any side effects and it is super awesome for people that have multiple autoimmune diseases. And I thought, well, that's me. Mm -hmm. So, um, I looked into it and at the time, initially when I was looking into it, really the only way I could get it was by seeing like a nurse, a nurse practitioner, which would have been like a $400 fee just to talk to someone like, for whatever reason, this drug has nothing to do with OHIP. Yeah. So I, which I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, but it doesn't. So, um, that felt kind of like out of my reach at the time. Like I just thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to just keep going with, um, what I'm doing, I'll just keep that kind of in my pocket as opposed to spending the money and trying it right away. Right. So after my, I guess maybe my last appointment with my GI, which was maybe in, let's say like November, December, 2018, and her kind of dismissing that approach, I just thought, I'm going to look this up again. I'm going to do this. And that time my search landed me with a doctor that lives in Detroit but drives into Windsor every day for work so he drives into Ontario so okay. he can so he prescribe the drug Ontario. yeah right so uh, I booked a 15 minute um just like a video mm -hmm. appointment 
it cost me a hundred dollars, but it's better than a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, which and just like to intervene, it's so noteworthy because I think I've said this before on the podcast, but the thing with OHIP, so Ontario's health insurance plan, is that there's no such yeah. thing as a copay. So you're never paying for any kind of medical care typically. Exactly. And then if you have benefits yeah. that cover naturopathy, that's what people pay for out of pocket. Um Right. And then I'm gonna ask about drug coverage after, but I know okay. you know that and I know that, but I just want to say that yeah. for all the Americans and Australians and British people who are like, oh, I have to pay $200 every time I go to the yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And that's why, like, maybe I sound spoiled or whatnot, but it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you go to make an appointment and it's going to, you have to fork out a couple hundred dollars. So well, it's not a part of either your, way, like mental budget. If you never pay for yeah. a doctor's appointment, then you're not keeping an emergency doctor fund. Not that. Right. Lots of people don't have that anyway, but it's like, you know, that that's a thing to expect. And so if you're not expecting that, of course it feels expensive. It is. Exactly. Yeah. So you Um, saw him or you did the video consult. Yeah. So we do the video conference and, you know, he asked me some questions and we have a conversation and he prescribes, um, like he gives me the, basically the countdown of uh, what I'm going to do with the pills and um, that I'm a good candidate for it. So he, um, I guess, maybe phoned or faxed the prescription to a compound pharmacy because they actually have to build the medication. And um, I pick it up, and that was at the very end of February of this year. And I had all the pills. I didn't see – so basically it's like one pill a night for two weeks, two pills a night for two weeks. Like you're just kind of like building up to it. Mm -hmm. And um, nothing happened for like months and months. Like I was just kind of taking them just because I was like, I'm going to finish this bottle and just see what happens. Yeah. And it was literally like the last probably – I'd say half handful of my pills that I started noticing something. And – it was um, it was kind of scary because it wasn't 100% pleasant. Like I was having like excruciating cramps and um, um, just pain. Like I was just having a lot of pain, but I could I kind of was happy about it because I felt like wow something's changing in my stomach. Like I haven't felt like this ever. Okay, so it was so, like a new something yeah it was it was it was new yeah so I knew something was going on um and and even still I'm I feel like I'm kind of stuck in that phase like I'm not in a lot of pain but when I'm eating properly like I said when I'm having a small meal I'm not having like my regular like colitis day where it's like wake up in the morning extreme pain urgency to get to the bathroom like now I can actually like wake up, go in the kitchen, make a tea, have breakfast, and then maybe need to use the washroom before I go to work. Mm-hmm. And if any people are listening that have colitis, like you understand what I'm talking about. That's like the first thing you do every day. Uh, like it's, it's, it's a horrible routine. It really is a horrible routine. So um, to wake up and kind of feel a little bit normal, like you can almost like trust your body a little bit. Yeah. feels pretty exciting. Yeah. I thought that, like, I spoke with him, the doctor, the other day. He refilled my prescription. I think I got a little bit overzealous with it and said, like, I think I want to go up to four pills because I'm starting to feel better, and I've been taking three pills a night. 
And he said, let's not like overdo it because it could actually bring on the opposite effect. So I'm kind of um, just trying to stay patient with it. Um, But oddly enough, at the same, at the same time, um, probably I'd say maybe the month of January and February, I started noticing like my hands and my elbows are really hurting overnight. Mm. Like joints maybe? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I talked with my doctor, my GI, she said that's probably the onset of arthritis. So um, that was not exciting. Like, that's scary, obviously, because it's just like, holy smokes, man. Like, I'm 38 years old, and I started to turn into, like, a slew of autoimmune issues. Yeah, how many autoimmune diseases does one person need to deal with? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So since taking the LDN, um, I don't have that pain anymore either. So that's really, really been nice. And um, my, my blood sugars have improved as well, but I'm also taking cannabis oil. So I think that is mostly contributing to my blood sugars. Um, But all around, I think, I really think that LDN is a really great drug. And I would, I would recommend it for anyone that's having trouble or even just having their doctor always pushing steroids because that's it's not it's really not a way yeah it's not a way to live like you don't have long-term success with it yeah and so so for the LDN so this doctor he lives in Detroit crosses over to Windsor you'd said um yeah was there is there a compounding wow words is there a compounding (laughs) pharmacy I was gonna say family compounding pharmacy (laughs) in Ontario that does it oh yeah there's lots of them okay yeah you can't get it without importing it or something that's Um, right yeah which I was nervous about because I didn't know what a compounding pharmacy even was mm -hmm. so once I started looking them up I've I realized there's one right beside my doctor's office and there's one and that same pharmacy is right down the street from my work so So um it worked out really well yeah I know the same thing is true like LDN also in the states you can only get it from a compounding pharmacy it has right right so like basically it's that now I have to think. Naltrexone is, and it I think at the full dose that was like studied and FDA approved originally, it was it blocks your opioid respe- receptors, and so the, it is like used to help people who are rec- recovering from addiction. That was like that that's is right. the original on label use, and that's the dosage is. I have no idea what it is, but I want to say like if LDN is three milligrams and the that clinical dose is like at least 30 or 60 or something and so yeah I don't know actually how. um the doctor had mentioned that when he was explaining the drug to me he had mentioned that when giving it to people coming off of addiction they get like a hundred milligrams okay yeah it's really and different. um yeah it's like it's so different and then for people that are taking it for autoimmune diseases, like the most you'll really go up to is like four milligrams. Yeah. It's like a whole other thing. Um, yeah. And I've seen it even recommended for like fibro and ME, things where they don't know yet kind of what the pathology is, yeah. why it's happening, but that some people with those kind of conditions also find it really helpful because maybe it's an immunomodulator. Like it needs to be studied better, but that's why it's not available like mass market like all over the place yeah nobody actually no drug company is selling it for this reason and so that it's not available at this dose yeah it's really frustrating yeah it's it's astounding to me because it comes up 
in so many different conditions from so many different people. And when you look for the research, the research is so small, like on a, you know, clinical level. And it seems like, holy cow, this is obviously helping a lot of people. Why is it not? Anyway, other, other thing. So, and so you have to, so medication. So you also, so you're using LDN and then, um, insulin. Gosh, I'm doing well. Yeah. And LDN is out of pocket, I'm guessing. It is. Yep. Is it affordable? I think I know here actually it's like 30 bucks a month or something, 35. Actually for me, so I have to pay the doctor for my prescription. So I have to pay him $60 every time I get a refill, but he usually sets me up for like three and four months at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's out of, I, I pay a, a portion out of pocket. So I'm paying 20% and then my benefits pay 80%. Okay. And so, so when I, great. when I pay for it, it's $44. So when I think about what 80% is, that's like, that's got to be an expensive drug. Yeah. And that's for a couple of months at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. And I guess obviously price would depend on dosage too, in this case. And then, so yeah. for insulin, how, how is insulin covered in Ontario? Insulin is covered. Um, well, for me, it's covered by my benefits 100%. Okay. I just pay the dispensing fee. And that's I'm like, really I'm really, work. really, really lucky. Yeah. Yeah. All it... my supplies are actually covered through my benefits. Okay. And so that's interesting. I just wonder since as I'm sure you know, the the cost of insulin in the States is Yeah. Bonkers yeah. and also like a thing that people are talking about right now. But I know yeah. in Ontario, like expensive drugs are covered by I think it's called the Trillium Plan. But yeah, if you're part of the Trillium plan, like you would have to sign up for the Trillium plan, just like you would for any benefit program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's taken care of. But yeah, I've done a lot of reading about people coming into Windsor as well for insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's horrible. Like that, it's horrible that people are, yeah. you know, having to budget differently between like food and insulin. And it just shouldn't, that shouldn't be like, if you need something to live and you need a drug to survive, then it's, even if it's not free, it should be provided to you at a, at a, a decent fee, like a nominal fee that people can afford. Like, yeah, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand that at all. It's just pure greed. I think, you know, it's so awful. It's so, so awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. And so, and so you have benefits through your work that will cover and the other s- supplies, which is what you're just talking about, like Lancet right. and the little sticks. What are those called? You know what I mean? Yeah. All so the stuff for actually, sugar. I use the Libre sensor. So mm. that's the sensor in the arm and I yeah. just scan. Yeah. yeah. So I use that. I haven't used test strips in a little while. Thank goodness. It's so nice to have a break from that. Yeah. And, um, Every five years, I'm on the, I get a new insulin pump. So I'm on a program called the Assisted Devices Program in Ontario. And I actually just got a brand new insulin pump probably about two weeks ago. Um, So a lot, like I got, you get the pump. If there's any things that go with it, like a transmitter or sensors and stuff like that, you normally do have to pay out of pocket for that. Or if your benefits are good enough that they cover that, then it's covered. But um, mine don't cover it, unfortunately. Um, but, um, that is covered through the provincial plan that I have, w- mm. which I'm so lucky for. Yeah. And so I guess diabetes is one of the places where technology, since you were diagnosed now, 
almost yeah. 20 years ago, you've seen huge yeah. changes in technology that must have made it a lot easier yeah. compared to that. Absolutely. Like doing math and all the stuff that you were talking oh, about yeah. at the beginning that was overwhelming. Is that almost yeah. all gone now? Like it's all on autopilot between? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm doing, um, I did about eight years with injections and then um, now this is my 10th year pretty much, right? So mm-hmm. um, doing like managing my insulin through an insulin pump. And I would definitely rather have a pump than use a insulin pen. It's nice to be able to not have the like broadcast of like, I'm a diabetic, here's my pager, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. um, if I have to wear this little box on my hip and it's helping me all day long and all night long, then I'm going to do that. And it takes away the math. Like I hate, I hated guessing that number because if you guess wrong, then you're in big trouble. Right. Right. It just really takes that. I can imagine that would be really nerve wracking. It's like you have to yeah. get it right. Of course. I even just started adjusting my own pump. Like if my, if I notice like, wow, I've been going low a lot in the morning. Like I'm actually just becoming more confident to go and change my basal rates and things like that on my pump. Like it took me a really long time to do that, but um, kind of talking with my, my, doctors and my diabetes educator and she's just kind of like you can do this stuff and it kind of just feels like what me like me do it by myself like that sounds crazy but it's kind of better than waiting the three and four months to see a doctor and that you know they drop it down like a couple points and then you feel better it's like I could have been feeling better like all this time like sometimes it just takes a little bit of bravery and you find out you're good, like you're fine. Like I'm not changing anything like dramatically. So I don't notice like gigantic changes, but at least it's putting me a little bit more in the driver's seat as opposed to just always waiting for someone else to do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. To trust yourself and kind of feel like you have agency. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, Okay, so we're pretty much caught up to the present, it sounds like. and Yeah, we are. You're totally. still managing some symptoms, but optimistic right now. Yeah, um, I feel good right now, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was just yeah, wondering. Yeah, it is. Yeah, more or less, like, <laughs> how, so you worked, it sounds like, all the way through this, even though there were times when it was definitely interfering with your kind of oh, ability yeah. to work. But yeah. how... Like, in your day-to-day life, how do you feel like this impacts you now? Um, If anything, sometimes I feel like it really affects my mental health sometimes. Like, it just feels overwhelming sometimes to the point that I just need, like, a day to myself sometimes just to rest. Like, it's – I said this to my grandma the other day. Like, rest is really underrated. Like, it's it's an important – thing that people need and I think sometimes you don't take it like you don't take the rest because you don't give yourself permission to just say like I need a day for myself and um it's not about like wanting attention or feeling sorry for yourself but sometimes just knowing like I'm gonna feel better if I just sleep in a little bit or go to bed early or lay in bed and watch a movie or I'm not going to do anything this weekend like on a lot of the times that I've done that for myself I feel a lot better long term yeah but it took it takes a long time because I think some people feel kind of like if they're not being productive if they're not doing something then they're not like you're just kind of not worthy or 
um, you're wasting time or whatever, but um, sometimes you just need those days where you just kind of even just like get up, have a shower, put on comfy clothes and get back into bed. Like that's like my favorite thing to do. So yeah. Do I take many of those days? Not really. Like sometimes you do have to give yourself the little extra push because I find like if I do start taking them, I want more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know when you need one, like where it's just like I need to do this today and I, I will do it if I have to. So I think that is really, really important. Yeah. And I think there's like there's a trusting your body element to that too of like, oh, right. My body is telling me. However, yeah. it is that your body is like exactly it needs to slow down, and yeah, I absolutely agree. On the other side, it feel, it's such a fine line of like yeah, I need to rest, and it's gonna feel really restorative, and I can just give my body and my brain a break. And yeah. I've been feeling kind of crappy, and I've been in bed for three days, and it's starting to negatively impact my mental health. Like yeah, exactly. It's such a feels like a yeah. like a tightrope to kind of balance yeah. those two those two things yeah definitely like some days I just get up and I'm like I don't want to get up but I'm gonna get up today and I'm gonna just like clean up and you just kind of feel like okay cool like I did do something and then you just kind of just like keep it going and before you know it you're dressed and showered and you're not on like day four and five of pajamas and eating cereal out of a box so um it's important to know when like okay it's starting to get to be an issue or I just needed a rest like like you said it is a fine line but you have to also be like really self-aware of how long you can take for time for yourself Mm -hmm. yeah it's all it's a balance Um, yeah definitely yeah well is there anything else in the whole world of health and (laughs) self-care and chronic illness that we haven't talked about that you've been thinking about um I don't think so. Like, I feel like I've kind of been able to, like, add in the important parts for me, just, like, being an advocate for yourself and being self-aware and trusting yourself when your body's doing, like, weird stuff and you know, like, this isn't normal or this has been going on for too long. Like, don't give up on yourself. And even though you are going to see a medical professional, they're not always right. Like, they're just human beings like us, too. And um they can be judgmental and they can be wrong and they can be right and they can be helpful like there's it's a mixed bag but if you're not getting what you need like you have to keep going and you have to do what you need to do for yourself and um i think like lastly like i said like giving yourself permission to rest especially with chronic illness is sometimes tough because it's invisible and you look healthy and you look well and you're kind of afraid that people are going to think like, yeah, right. Or judge you and whatever, but um, you really have to listen to yourself. And if there's anything that I have been pretty happy about with all these diagnoses is that I'm really aware of how I'm feeling and like what I need. And mm-hmm. um, I really just go with it. Yeah. And I think sometimes too, if you don't have that, like you don't, you don't maybe even treat yourself as well as you could because you you're getting along just fine you know yeah it's like it not that I'm advocating that everyone should get sick but when you do get sick you learn that like your body is sending you messages for a reason yeah because when you're healthy yeah 
it's easy to just ignore just needing to rest and all that stuff. You're like, oh, yeah. I can tough it out. But once yeah. you, you learn this stuff, you realize that sometimes toughing it out is not the answer. Often toughing it out yeah. is not the answer. Yeah. yeah, and you can't keep pushing yourself because then sometimes maybe worse things can happen. Yeah, totally. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. It's been yeah up and down and there's lots going on. And I think I asked yeah. you, I haven't talked to anybody with diabetes yet. So I'm glad, I'm oh, really okay. glad to get that perspective. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I could share it and, and hopefully um, added something positive to it because it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not going away. And as of right now, there's not a cure, but it's not a death sentence. Like it's definitely manageable and taking interest in it, um, kind of makes it more of a part of your life as opposed to like a chore or anything like that. Like, yeah, sure. I'd love a day off sometimes, but, um, it's just, you know, accept it and move on and find out what works for you. I love participating in research trials and um, doing uh, fundraising and positive things. It kind of keeps you involved in your community and um, you're learning about new things with um, um, technology advances and things like that. So mm-hmm. it kind of just puts a bit of a positive spin on it for me anyways. Yeah, getting involved in patient communities and feeling a part of it so you're not just kind yeah. of waiting for someone else to tell you what's yeah going on. and you don't feel alone yeah yeah that's a big one thank you for listening to episode 39 of no end in sight you can find tina on instagram at tina bear with an e on the end b-e-a-r-e and you can find me on instagram and twitter at Bennis b you can find this show on Instagram at No End Insight Pod. I'm still slow on posts because I'm still behind on transcripts, but that will pick up again once those pick up again, which should be soon. It's a very slow work in progress. Next week, I'll be talking to a woman managing ME and Lyme, so make sure you subscribe in your podcast app to find out when new episodes are available. And if you've been enjoying the show, I would be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners know what to expect when they tune in. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I love to cross-stitch as a way to feel productive during flares when I'm stranded in front of the television. One of these days, I'm going to get to work on some new spring and summer patterns, but there are some fall patterns in there, so now's a great time to check them out. Uh, Take a look at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.